to be in the house of the Lord, and that's plenty loud. It's good to be here this morning. It's good to see you here this morning. I hope that you have found the services to be uplifting so far as we study and sing and pray to our Father. I have for consideration this morning a lesson that I've titled, We Are Not Alone. Now this is not about ancient aliens that have come to earth. But it is a common, I believe, thing that happens to man when we're in trouble. When things are not like we would like for them to be, we tend to crawl into our shells and we seem to think that it's all about us and that we're alone and we're against everything alone. This lesson I'm put together for myself and I hope that you'll find that the encouragement here that I got, you will also get. Franklin, when he prayed, we prayed about the COVID virus and its issues. Our, com- our country is stirred up more than I have ever seen it in my 71 years of life. You look at the news and you get depressed. And it looks like you're the only one that's got any sense. But let me tell you, Even the strongest in faith get discouraged. You know, I look and I say, well, I ought to be stronger in faith. I shouldn't worry so much. I shouldn't be anxious for what I see and what's going around me. But then I look in the scriptures and even the people that we look up to in the scriptures that were very strong in faith, there were times they got discouraged. And we're going to talk about them and what happened to these individuals. You remember King David? Now, he's king. God has anointed him king, and every battle that he fought against the enemies of the Israelites, he won. He lived in a palace and a mansion, had all that his hope could desire. But he would get depressed. If you look in the 55th chapter there, David prays to God, and he says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Listen to me, please. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan nosily. Because the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble on me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. So I said... Oh, that I had wings like the dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Have you ever had that thought? I have. If I just had enough money that I could take myself and the ones I love and move to some isolated mountain in Colorado or maybe Alaska and I could live my peace and my life in peace and I would be in that wilderness and things would be great. Well, here's David the king, had everything he wanted, lived in a palace. And he said, man, if I could just get on the, the wings of a dove and get to the wilderness, they'd never see me again. He was depressed. If you continue reading there in the 55th chapter of Psalms, you will find that why he was depressed was not because of the enemies from without. He said, if the armies come up against me, I can handle that. But he said, you know, 
It's the companions within. There were those that I considered my companion. There were those that I took counsel with. There were those that I ate with. And I'm paraphrasing it here. He says, they stabbed me in the back. He said, I've had enough. Oh, if I could just get as the wings of a dove and fly away, I'd do it. I would be happy. But David, later on in this chapter, he comes up with a conclusion of what he really needs to do. In the 16th verse says, For as for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning at the noon I pray and cry aloud. And he shall hear my voice. He hath redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many against me. First of all, David said, I need to cry unto the Lord because he will save me. But on top of that, he said, you know, there have been lots of battles that I've had. And what did God do? He took care of me. There were lots of enemies that I had. There were lots of things that I had, for there were many against me. But he could look back in the past and say, God took care of me. In our moment... When we're down and where things seem to be not going our way, let us look and say, look what God has done for me in the past and what God has promised to do for me in the future. And we will feel better. One of, the, in my opinion, one of the men that had extremely strong faith was Elijah. Now, last month we talked about Elijah and we talked about the fact that he challenged the prophets of Baal, and they built an altar and, he, and a sacrifice, and he built one. And, of course, theirs did not burn up, and Elisha called unto God, and fire came down and burned it up. That takes faith to pray to God and say, come down and burn up this sacrifice. And he did that. Why? To prove to the people. And what did they say when they saw all of this happen? They said, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. He had convinced them that Baal was not God. But God was God. Now all of this came about because earlier we find in the chapter 17 where Elijah prayed that there would be a drought and it would not rain. And look at his words here in 1 Kings 17 and 1. As the Lord God of Israel lives... Before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except by my word. Whose word? Elijah's word. He said, it's not going to rain because I said it wasn't. Now, is that faith? Is that strength? And sure enough, it didn't rain. And what we find before the confrontation with the prophets of Baal, we find that the king Ahad was out looking for grass and water for the sheep and for the flocks that he had. He was king. So he's getting pretty desperate. And he comes upon Elijah, and Elijah proceeds to say, you bring your people and, I'll, and try to, to make this altar, uh, this sacrifice burn, and I'll bring my God and let it burn. And what did Ahad see? Ahad saw the power of God. He was there as the king. 
And then right after that, if you read in the 18th chapter, you'll find that Elijah prayed for rain. His servant went out and looked out to the sea, and he said, you see any clouds? And he said, no. He came back and said, no, I haven't seen any. Elisha prayed seven times. You know, there's a whole lesson in perseverance and prayer. But he prayed seven times, and the seventh time when his servant went up to the mountain and looked, there was, it says there was a small cloud like, the hand of the, like, like a man's hand on the horizon. You know what Elisha did? Elisha told Ahab that was there with him. He said, you get your chariot and you get on it and you get out of here because it's going to rain. And you're going to get stuck in it if you don't get going. Now what had Ahab witnessed? He had witnessed the power of God at the sacrifice. And now he was about to witness the fact that Elisha could call rain to come down. But what did Ahab do? You know, there are people that are just never going to be believers. They really are. For what did Ahab do? He, to, he told Jezebel, his queen, all that Elisha had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with a the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the God do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She said, Elijah, either I'm gonna, you're going to die by this time tomorrow, or I'm going to die trying. Well, do you think Elijah went to the people that he had just told them that they were convinced that God was God? Can you imagine the height of the faith and the strength that Elijah had to call down fire from heaven, to cause it not to rain and then cause it to rain? What kind of faith is that? But you know what happened? And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. And went to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his, his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a blue broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it's enough. Now, Lord, take my life. Talk about an up to a down. A few days ago, he was on top of the world. And now he's so depressed that he wants to give up his life. Lord, take my life. I've had it. If you continue to read there, you'll find that Elijah went to sleep. An angel woke him up and said, you need to eat the bread, this bread we have cooked here and drink, drink, because you need it for strength. And he did that, and he fell back to sleep, and the angel woke him up again, and he said, you need to do that again because you don't have the strength necessary for the things that God's going to have you do. That, it, you didn't say that. That's going to come to you. And what do we saw in the Scriptures? We find that he wandered in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. The only way a man can do that is God sustains him to do so. A mere mortal man cannot go without food and water for 40 days and 40 nights. We find that he went up Mount Hebron, and there he went into a cave and spent the night in the place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Now, first of all, did Elijah answer God's question? No. He just complained. 
said, I've done all these things, and I'm all by myself, and I'm just depressed. I'm all alone. The scriptures tell us that there was a great wind, like a, like a tornado, I presume, that moved rock and dirt at the entrance of the, ten, uh, of the cave. And then God sent an earthquake, and it occurred, and it shook the ground. And then there was a great fire that came and burned. But last of all, it says, after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what did God say? He repeated it. Why, what are you doing here, Elijah? What did Elisha say? He repeated it. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. You know what God did? I'm not through with you, Elijah. He said, I want you to go to Israel and anoint the new king. I want you to go to Judah, and I want you to anoint the new king, and I want you to find Elisha, who is going to take your place, and I want you to tutelage him. I want you to take him in. I got things for you to do. Why are you here? Why aren't you doing what you're supposed to be doing? And then, of course, God said, by the way, I've reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal. And every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah, you think you're alone? There's 7,000 other out there. You're not alone. When you and I feel that we are alone, we're not alone. Not only is God in Christ with us, but there are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that are in there with us. We're not alone. Now, we saw that even though men of great faith did stumble and fall and had problems, but it was their faith that pulled them through. And it's our faith that will see us through. Van read for us this morning in part, Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of mine enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. He said, there's a lot of people around here that want to kill me. God, please stay with me. And then he said this, I would have lost heart. I would have lost faith. I would have become depressed unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David looked out and he said, you know, there are a lot of good things that God does for me. There's a lot of good things that God does for everyone. I admonish you to look out and see the goodness that God has put upon the earth. To see his goodness for mankind and it will uplift us. It will give us hope. Isaiah 40 and 28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. 
He gives power to the weak, and to those who have not, no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount on the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Brothers and sisters in Christ, haven't you heard? Don't you know who God is? He is our Father. He is there to protect us. He is cares for us. And He doesn't ever get tired. He wants us to be strong, knowing that we can walk and not lose faith, not think. All through the Old Testament and the New Testament as well, there's a a theme that if you go looking, is that God wants us to help each other. He wanted the children of Israel to be at peace with each other. And most of the time they were not. They bickered all the time. They even divided the kingdom and fought. But there were a few times in the Old Testament that they were together. And they were great times. A lovely verse of scripture we find in Isaiah 41 and 6. It says, Everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, Be of good courage. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith. He who smooths with a hammer inspired him to strike the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering. Then he fastened it to the peg that it might not totter. These people were helping each other. They had different roles, but they encouraged to do that. Reading again, it says, So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith. He who smooths with a hammer inspired him who strikes the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering. Then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. In our new dispensation of time, in the New Testament, with our Savior who died on the cross for us, look at it this way. So those who teach encouraged the member who listens. He who speaks with kind words inspires him who does good deeds, saying it is ready for us to strive together. Then the Lord fastened with mercy and strength that we might not totter. We've got to help each other. We have got to give encouragement at the right time. A little word here, a little word there, a little kind deed here, a little kind deed there. You never know when you strike the right chord and you help that person who needs it badly right then. Ecclesiastes 4 says, Two are better than one because they have good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one uh, will will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You and I have got to stand together. We have got to be together. We have to do things to help each other. Paul said this, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cling to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. 
Be kind, affectionate to who? To one another in brotherly love. Give honor to those around about us that are our fellow Christians, preferring them above ourselves, honoring them that are there. When you look at the New Testament, I think you could arguably say that the, that the Apostle Paul probably had more faith than anybody. He certainly was up there at the top. And yet we know that he struggled. We know that he was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was run out of town. And it says, he says, and all of that plus the weight of all the congregations I had on my shoulder, all the churches that I formed. Don't you think he could use some encouragement? We know that he left for Rome. He always wanted to go to Rome. God's idea was is you'll be a prisoner on your way to Rome. That probably wasn't what was in his mind. But anyway, we know there was a shipwreck. They spent a season on an island. And, it's, and we're picking the story up here in Acts the 28th verse, the 11th chapter. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled around and reached Rehum. And, again, and after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Petoli. Petoli, right there. Rome is just off the map right there. They had come to Patoli. What did they find at Patoli? Where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. I don't know if the Apostle Paul knew that they were there. Probably not. Because it says they found them. And so we went towards Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as a a pie for them, and three ends. Here's the three ends, and there's the form of a papyrus or a pie. This from here to Rome is about 40 miles. Here to Rome is about 30 miles. That's a long ways to walk. And somebody in the seven days that they were here went all the way up here to tell the brethren in Rome, he said, Paul's coming. He's coming. And guess what? Those brethren in Rome... They thought it enough to come 30 and 40 miles to meet him and greet him. What did the Apostle Paul say? When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. You and I have to help each other. We need to encourage each other. We all have our ups and downs. We need to be like those brethren that met Paul, for he, thought, he thanked God and took courage. I want to finish the lesson by talking about when all else fails, there is the promise that God, the promises that God has given us, and we need to remember them. I want to look back at Job, the 19th chapter. My relatives have failed, and my close friends have forgotten me. Those who dwell in my house and my maidservant count me as a stranger. I'm an alien in their sight. I call my servant, but he gives me no answer. I beg him with my mouth. My brethren is a, 
to, is offensive to my, oh, I'm sorry, my breath is offensive to my wife, and I am repulsed to the children of my own flesh. Repulsive, sorry. Even young children despise me. I arise and they speak against me. All my close friends abhor me. They hate me. And those whom I love have turned against me. Now we know the story of Job. Is there any more place you could be more depressed? Everything that he had, everybody he knew, abandoned him. But he had a wish. He wished that the things that he had to say would be written down forever. And guess what? They are. We find them in the Old Testament. He said, oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book that they had engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. What did he want to be written down? For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth and after... My skin is destroyed this. I know that in my flesh I shall see God more than 2,000 years before Christ, I'm guessing. His Redeemer lived. Our Savior died on the cross for us, gave up His life for us, went into the grave, and what do we know? Our Redeemer lives. Regardless of what else happens in the world, regardless of our situation in life, you and I as Christians know that our Redeemer lives. Jesus said through John and Revelations to the Laodiceans, those that were the lukewarm church, those he didn't have really much to, good to say about, he who hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcome, came and sat down with my Father on his throne. What does Jesus promise for those that overcome? He said, you're going to sit up here with me because you've overcome. Just like I overcame and now I sit with my Father at his throne. I'm sorry. Jesus said to his apostles, These things have I spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. What does he say? I have overcome the world. Our Savior said, Be of good cheer. Regardless of the tribulations you're going to have, and those apostles had lots of tribulation, he said, Don't worry about it. I've overcome the world. You and I don't need to worry about it because our Savior has overcome the world and we need to remember that. We are not alone. Our God and our Savior are with us. The 7,000 that haven't knelt to Baal, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, they're with us. It may seem hopeless, but it's not. For our Lord and Savior has overcome the world. I hope there's something in the lesson that will give you courage in the coming week and think about. This certainly has not been a lesson of first principles, but we do not know the hearts of men that are here. If there's someone that's been sufficiently taught, that realizes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and confesses that before men, repents of his sins and 
is baptized to wash away those sins, he can have those promises just like you and I do. To someone subject to the gospel call, we ask you to come as we stand and sing the song selected.